This is fast food, and um, <laughs> I, I can't say fast food at its finest. <laughs> Definitely not. It, it, no. It's, I mean, so it's it's not it's not like I would I would put Sonic kind of like in between like Burger King and Chick Fil A. Really? Like, Ugh. you know, like it's not at all. <laughs> no, I mean at Sonic they have. I'm not crazy about. Well, I don't eat burgers anymore, but they had hot dogs and burgers. They had food that we had that we ate when we were in, in elementary school, like tater tots. To me, you cannot put that in between Burger King and Chick-fil-A by all means. Absolutely not. I, I definitely disagree. All right. Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today, we are joined by April Cunningham, confidence coach, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Influencer. Jendai Jackson, owner of Jendai Asha Creative, also known as The Entrepreneur. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. Lawrence Rassall, The Weekend Chef, also known as The Artisan. So we want to extend a warm congratulations to our founder and friend, April, who embarked on a new adventure recently. Congratulations on your first month of marriage. Thank you. Thank you. Love adventures. Going again. (laughs) Going again. (laughs) Right. So let's... uh, we, we wanted to, to, of course, offer our public congratulations for you and John, uh, your, your new husband. Um, but I also thought it would be fun to talk about some of the things you were thinking about as you were heading into those last few days of single life and thinking about what life as a married woman might be like again. And what were some of the, the tasks or, or um, parts of daily life that you were not looking forward to resuming as a married woman? I mean, you and I, Jen, have talked about this many times. One observation I had from being married before, um, audience is aware of this. Um, you can go back and read about diet and divorce audience. I, I think it's episode three or four. four. Um, one thing I was not looking forward to is, and I've said these words to you, Jen, I don't want to be in charge of anyone's digestive schedule. You remember me saying that? I don't want to be in charge. Yes. I I actually thought it was digestive destiny. That's how I always say it to other people. Destiny. Well, I like the alliteration, <laughs> but I know it's the schedule. It's like, what do we want to eat for breakfast? What do we eat for lunch? What do we eat for dinner? Um, it happens that right. I fell in love with a wonderful human being who is not plant-based. Um, and so he, um, you know, but he's really, <gasps> but he's really open yes. to it, you know? I know, right? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> love sometimes chooses you. What you going to do? What you going to do? Um, so, but he's very open to plant-based, like very open, like, please help me. Like he watched Game Changers and he's like, yeah, actually, I, I'm really curious about this and I know I need to eat better. I just don't know how. And uh, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. So he's like, I'm going to go watch Game Changers. And he's like, I'm going to go plant-based. And that lasted for probably till lunch. <laughs> he's like, I don't know what <laughs> He had a noble five hours, huh? <laughs> it was, it was, and he called me. He was honest about it. Like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to need some help. So probably the audience can relate to that. If you're listening to this, if you ever tried to go plant-based or vegan, it's like, yeah, how long does that last? You need an army of resources and such. 
um, and knowledge and experience and time and all that stuff. So anyway, here I am, uh, married, and um, it's I am I have the primary responsibility of what to eat, and it's not that. Um, it's not like uh, it's my job, air quote. Like there's plenty of things that we can eat, we can find to eat, we can order in these kinds of things. But because I am uh, very vehemently and proudly plant-based, I find it's my, I feel like it's my personal responsibility to make sure that we find the best options available. So yes, what's for breakfast? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? Um, and uh, I'm still working through that. So I have an army of cookbooks and trying to figure out um, how to approach plant-based um, while incorporating some plant-based meals and at the same time not eliminating animal-based meals because the idea is that it it needs to be a transition. And also the fact that plant-based will not be forced on anyone. It will be Let's add some options, basically. That's all it is, is adding options um, that and, and delicious options, not options just because they're plants. That's dumb. Nobody's going to eat a salad every day if it's just a salad. Um, nobody wants that. Um, but the idea of like, what options can you add here that could fill in some of the gaps in the nutritional profile from the foods? Yeah, and I just want to, for a moment, say that um, April's decision to be the primary provider of meals in her home is not so much about traditional gender roles as it is, at least in my opinion, because you were the one who has not just a preference for plant-based, but actual allergies that would make it difficult for you to consume non-plant-based meals. So I think you taking the lead just makes sense because you're the one who has this requirement and he's willing to go along for the ride, but to put that onus on him, I think, would be pretty difficult, especially the fact that he's not real adept in the kitchen. And yeah, and absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, in any relationship, the, the where, where the strengths lie is where you, you take up the responsibility, right? And I think it would be, uh, I think it would be do a disservice to this man that I love if I didn't um, introduce him to what I know. You know, and especially because it can help him and it can serve him to be more healthful, have more energy um, and uh, prolong our time together. I think we're missing out on it. one important fact. <laughs> uh, we were over April's house on Friday and I was asking John a series of questions, getting to know him. And I, one of the questions I asked was, do you cook? And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> and I what do you, what, what, and immediately my mind flashed to who I know April is and who and how she handled those responsibilities of cooking in her prior relationship. And I was like, what? So what well, well what have you how have you been eating like what what are you what are you doing like where do you typically go to eat how do you how do you fend for yourself and he was like sonic and you know like and i'm just like oh no oh no <laughs> which audience if you are listening this is fast food and um i, I can't say fast food at its finest <laughs> definitely not it, it, no. it's, i mean so it's it's not it's not like I would I would put Sonic kind of like in between like Burger King and Chick Fil A. Really? Like, Ugh. you know, like it's not at all. <laughs> no, I mean at Sonic they have. I'm not crazy about. Well, I don't eat burgers anymore, but they had 
hot dogs and burgers. They had food that we had that we ate when we were in, in elementary school, like tater tots. To me, you cannot put that in between Burger King and Chick-fil-A by all means. Absolutely not. I, I definitely disagree. All right. I, I, that's fine. I mean, I'll, I'll go with your opinion there, Lawrence. <laughs> I mean, really, Lawrence, like, judge much. Um, no, but seriously, like, it, I mean, it, it, I mean, but, um, the American fast food circuit is just, generally speaking, not healthy. You have some uh, fast food places that do it slightly better, and, uh, but it's all, it's very heavy meat, heavily meat-based. Um, to come to your point, Jendi, like, absolutely, like, yes, uh, I was the primary person that cooked in the previous relationship, uh, marriage, and, um, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I hated it, but we had we came to an agreement then, and that was when I cooked, we cooked, we ate plant based, and he then he could have a burger wherever he wants it in the street. Um, and and even in my current situation, we have a my current situation, my current marriage, we have a uh, an agreement. I'll do my best, and then sometimes he'll eat whatever he wants, and I have to let release him to his choice, and I have to let go of control and. And I'm learning to cook, which y'all know. I don't really even really like to cook. Like you prepare. Full disclosure, real talk. I don't. Yeah, I would say I said to y'all exactly. I don't cook. I prepare. So this is actually new territory for me because, and it's motivated entirely by love. Because when I was single, I absolutely would order some ramen from up the street, and I had more access to choices given where I lived and what I chose um, that I don't have now that require me to go to the grocery store. Require me to go to the grocery store, and y'all know. The other monkey wrench for me that I thought was funny is that uh, you got married during a pandemic. So there's not a lot of even dinner (laughs) options. You are going to be in charge. I I think that's one of the hardest things for like COVID quarantine for me. I don't mind cooking. But when I had to do a breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 67 days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 67. Has it been that long? Straight days. Oh, Lisa. That's where I was like, oh, oh, this is not fun anymore. This is not fun. But, and, and then even when they started opening up restaurants for pickup, like, you're in suburbia of suburbia now, April. So... You know, you had an arrangement in your prior relationship where you guys ended up eating out a lot. You know, you had you were in in the middle of D.C. and so you just had access to everything and both of you guys were okay with that. Now mm-hmm. you're in Ganene, as they call it. And <laughs> <laughs> like you just you can't touch as many restaurants and as many right now pick up options as you would like to. Mm-hmm. So I like I, I was like I was telling you guys before we started recording on the way home from your house, my husband and I were like, what? How's this going to what what coping? Like, what's the plan? Like, we have to help. Like, she can't do this. She's not going to be able to do this and sustain this for a long time. Like, this- <laughs> oh, thank you. I love y'all. Yeah. I love y'all, too. That is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, you're right. Like I did, and, and I think so. There are a couple things that I have learned in the process, and one is that you know what, actually, cooking is not that hard. So, um, you when you guys came, I um, I made a cauliflower steak, right? Which is I'd had cauliflower steak before, and then I was making it, and honestly, I was not happy with how it turned out. But it was good to um, me. I liked it. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, it was really good. Well, and I don't you. like cauliflower steak. Um, so it's experimenting with things really is the first thing. And Lisa, thank you. You gave me this cookbook from one of our, it's a cookbook that is created from this restaurant that we love in California, Cafe Gratitude. And, um, in that, uh, this book, it basically has all these recipes (laughs) that, um, are plant-based and I've been flipping through, I've been finding things. I've been like, oh, okay, I'm going to make these muffins. Oh, okay. I'm going to, it's actually not that hard, but it does require quite a bit of, um, planning and it requires me to get really intentional about, okay, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I will say that it's not a perfect system and I don't plan it to be today. I made a steak. Yeah. I made like, a, like a, a, like a beef steak. I made a ribeye steak. I cooked the ribeye. Yeah. Wow. Now, did you um, get jealous? That's real life. Did you get jealous? Jealous? No, not at all. No, No? not at all. I will tell you, it looked amazing. (laughs) It did look amazing. Um, But no, I actually felt guilty. Believe it or not, I felt guilty because I I was. It was easier. I said. I I looked at him and I was like, I made some plant based things for a few days, and he was a good sport about it, and he ate it, and some of it was good, some of it was. uh, because I'm still learning. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to give him a break from plant-based. I'm going to let him have something he really loves. And I'm going to buy that ribeye. And I bought the ribeye. And it was $22 for that ribeye. Thanks. Um, and I made it. We're going to talk about the coronavirus and how it's um, impacting Price of meat. Uh, the food supply mm-hmm. in the next episode. But Excellent. Go ahead. Yeah, let's talk about the cost of eating animals in a time of a pandemic. Anyway. Yeah, we'll get to that next next week. Uh, the idea being, I made a steak. Now this morning, and this morning I made, uh, I think, uh, eggs and bacon. Yeah, I did. But yesterday, he had plants all day. So I'm trying to find a. I won't call it a balance. I'm trying to get away from the word balance because it's not really a balance. It's a ratio. Sometimes it's it's going to be in my favor, and I did it because it was easy. I looked at him and I was like, sirloin. Uh, Ribeye, broccoli. He was like, perfect, because <laughs> he's been eating plants for several days. Let's give you a break. And, and then, but after, after I cooked it, after I made it, I felt guilty. I was like, you know what? I know what meat does to the body, though, and as delicious as it can be, I'm feeling guilty, but I also made, recognize for me to make that steak was super easy because I know how to make steak. You sear it on both sides and stick it in the oven from test the temperature, make sure it's well enough done, get it nice, well done. It had the perfect caramelization on the side because I put it in a grill pan. It had the nice stripes going down. I was feeling oh, real proud of myself. I roasted that broccoli up, mixed it in some uh, uh, oil, olive oil, salt, pepper. I was, uh, was feeling so proud of myself. And afterwards, I was feeling guilty. I don't think you should feel guilty. And I just would like to step in here and defend my friend John who is not just a good sport, but, you know, we, <laughs> he gets teased about his eating habits a lot. And he's, he's a pretty slender, relatively healthy looking guy. So while we can't like open him up and see what's going on on the inside, he doesn't seem to be, you know, adversely affected by his choices. So I don't want to paint the, the wrong no, picture of him. No, 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 not at all. And I, I, like I said, he's been eating plants for several days and, and, and wants yeah. to, right, by choice. So I pointed out only to say, Jendi, like, it's not a it's not a balancing act. It's just the ratio today based on my energy and my tolerance level for my vegan morality. How much can I stand 
<laughs> to feed someone I love something that I don't want them to eat. But also I got to be able to release my loved one to his choices and also to his dietary preferences. Like, And I think what I didn't, what I'm trying to be really careful about in this new dynamic is not being dogmatic or dictatorial about what somebody else should eat. And at the same time, kind of myself because... Um, I'm not going to get it right. I don't, like I said, I don't think I didn't like really how the cauliflower steak turned out and I've been experimenting with other stuff and I was like, eh, that was okay. Eh, that was not okay. Um, and when you're talking to a carnivore, it was like, why do you call it steak? It's not steak though. (laughs) (laughs) You mean the cauliflower steak? Cauliflower steak. Why do you call it steak? That's, I I just, it's not steak. You're right. It's not, but... It's like a burger. Why you call it a burger? It ain't a burger. There's nothing beef in that. You're right. I I don't know what else it's to just, call it. Those, easy. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a language that we're that we're yeah. accustomed to. That's fine. But can we pivot for just a second? Because I remember in the conversation prior to you getting married, I was so surprised at how like vehemently opposed you were to finding pleasure in the kitchen. And as we started talking about it, I was just totally shocked that you're like no because you're you're a creative person right mm-hmm. you write um you i believe you draw you, you have such a creative spirit that i'm thinking like cooking is a natural extension of that creativity but you're like no i don't i don't see it that way it doesn't feel that way to me and i'm just curious what in your in your life or your upbringing has determined how you think about and look at preparing and feeding someone else yeah, I absolutely, um, I grew up with excellent food, great food all around. But my, when I think about cooking in the kitchen, um, it has always been, there's two experiences that have been super, that to come up for me that were super stressful. One was I used to watch my grandmother. She used to bring us all together for family dinner and the dinner would be superb. However, she'd be hot and sweaty and sitting down at the table and not really at the very end, the tail end of things. And, you know, things would be coming out hot and the kitchen would be a mess. And she'd sit down and she would be exhausted. Now, for my grandmother, acts of service is one of her love languages, right? So for her, just to produce this meal was the satisfaction enough. But what I saw was doing all this is too much, um, and it, at the end of the day, you're exhausted and you got a dirty kitchen to clean still after everybody's gone and left. Um, and so I always grew up with like anxiety around and it wasn't her fault. It just is how I ch- interpreted this, the events. <laughs> I interpreted family dinner as stressful um, and especially so for the cook. Um, the second experience is of me being married the first time and very new, doing a lot of things, working full time. I was a full time volunteer. I was doing so many things. It was like, yes, work, get home, go to the gym, come back home, cook the meal, then you can relax. And that was, you know, by that time, it's eight or nine o'clock. And so for me, cooking was always that thing to like try to get through so you can get to what you really want to do. It was never a pleasure. Highly pressurized, it sounds like. Yeah. Is that what you remember, Lisa, since you and April have the same grandmother? Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember family dinner. I mean, the whole... It's so funny because my uh, our grandmother, um, she is an only child, and all she ever wanted was, like, this big, huge family, 
and she, you know, she had six kids. Our mom is one of six. Um, and she would have these big family dinners and all of like the cousins and everybody would come. And I remember even when I was a kid, I dreaded it. It was chaos. And by the end, this uncle wasn't speaking to that uncle. And, you know, my grandma was, oh, you know, no. <laughs> in a fuss. This was before the age of, of cell phones. So I remember she would like give our mom a list. We drive all the way to the store. We get back to my grandma's house. Oh, I forgot to ask for this thing. Can you go back? And we'd go back. And I mean, this would happen six or seven times where she would forget things. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, it was, it was awful. <laughs> Just, and to me, I felt like the reward wasn't big enough. You know, because even Mm -hmm. once we all sat down to eat, I mean, it was probably 30 minutes before it kind of broke loose. (laughs) And then everybody was like, yeah, I'm leaving. He got one uncle storming out or whatever. So I I think my idea of food has been the same. Um, I don't have that sense of of people coming together around food. But I will say uh, with my husband, because he's uh, West African, they have the same culture around food. It's very much a family thing. Um, but what I notice about them that I feel like I didn't experience in American culture is that they do everything together. Like all the women come together. His aunts, eh, they come together. They, okay, you're going to cook the chicken. You're going to cook the green beans. You're going to cook whatever. And every, the men don't cook, <laughs> but all the women do. Um, and then it was this, then it's this community where like the women talk about stuff and share these experiences and the kids are there and they're teaching them how to do things. Now that, that part of cooking, actually, I love to see his family cook because I think it's how cooking really should be. Um, but my, my family wasn't like that. My grandma was the only person that cooked. We ran errands for her, but we didn't really, you know, cook with her. There wasn't that experience. Um, not until we got older and then it was like, oh, can you show me how to make this pound cake that you make? Or can you show me how to make that? And then we would do like one thing, but the meals weren't done as a family. Um, and to me, that's been a huge difference in, in the way that I see cooking, um, at this point, it's funny. I think I would more readily cook with my in-laws than with my own family only because of the way that they do it. Like that, it's, an, it's enjoyable to me. I like, I like the way that they embrace the whole family experience together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A team sport. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of um, something that Jindy mentioned on... A recent episode, we talked about um, our love languages, and she commented how she enjoys cooking when well, everything about preparing and providing a meal, if it's part of a joint venture, she likes it. But if it's not, she's just disinterested. And so I'm curious, Jendi, like, did your parents both cook um, or did one have the responsibility more than the other? And like, do you, can you identify a time in your life when that influence kind of impacted how you think about cooking and providing food for others? Yeah. So my, I would say that my mom cooked when I was, while growing up, my mom cooked more than my dad, but my dad cooked as well. Um, and I think it's actually, it's interesting how it's developed over time. 
my, and I just had this conversation with my parents a couple of weeks ago. We went to go visit them and we were talking about how each of us experiences food. Like, do we eat to live or do we live to eat? And all of us eat to live except for my father. My father lives to eat. Like, and is proud to say it. Just, I live to eat. I wake up in the morning and I think about food. <laughs> and so it's now awesome. I think he is more into food than my mom is. Even though my mom's still, probably, she's probably still in the kitchen more than he is. But he is dreaming about it more than she is, right? So she, she's like, okay, we'll just do this. And he's like, well, what about this? And, you know, oh, I found this new recipe and I saw this Asian lady on YouTube cooking this. Can we try this? Let's go to the store. Let's go to, you know, and so it's, it's a whole thing for him. Um, but I, 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 I didn't grow up like that. I didn't see that until now. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. cooking for me is, yeah, I, I cook to live. Um, and I want to do it with someone else to help me to live, not, you know, for anything else. And the the one thing that I did get from how I was raised, my sister's like this too, is that my sister, my my mom and I, we both like presentation of food. So we like the final outcome of it, but not necessarily the process to getting to it. Um, Yeah. So it, you know, let me plate the food. I'll, I'll do that. Let me plate Mm -hmm. the food. Let me figure out the table, the, you know, the ambiance, but as far as actually doing the work, yeah, I just, whatever I need to do to survive. That makes a lot of sense, though, because you are an artist and a photographer. And so I feel like the presentation of the food would matter a lot more to you than maybe it mm-hmm. would to me, right? Because I think the aesthetic is just like ingrained mm-hmm. in you. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that makes a yep. lot of sense. That's very true. What about you, Lawrence? Sorry. No, it's fine. Similar to. Jenny's experience and as well as Lisa's uh, family, um, I enjoy the, and you guys know me, I enjoy being in the kitchen. It's always been that way. I was raised in a family where there were the traditional roles. Uh, My mother, she did all the cooking. My father never cooked. Every once in a while, if my mother got sick or she was away, he would... (laughs) He would cook certain things, but they would just turn out really, really bad. Just, you know, salty uh, cornbread (laughs) that had too much baking soda in it. So, but I do remember my mother uh, being very um, liberal and very um, uh, adventurous in the kitchen. Um, We ate an arraignment of different foods, even... I can't. I come from a military family. My father was uh, in the armed forces, and we traveled a lot. But even aside from that, uh, my mother was always um, trying new recipes, and you know we were excited as kids. I mean, we were in the kitchen. We were helping her to cut things and stir things and mix things. Um, so we were exposed to that very early in life, and I think that carried over into us traveling around the world uh, and living in different areas. We were exposed to different cultures. And the uh, the faith part of my life, um, we would come together as, as a congregation and we would have uh, 
dinners and lunches uh, when we lived in Germany and when we lived out west. And so there was a lot of Latino uh, influences. So I remember just having the diversity all the time. And so that has really shaped my palate. Um, I, I, I may be able to pick up one different ingredients that I think if I wasn't exposed to the diversity and the uh, just just that throughout my life that I wouldn't be able to really enjoy food the way that I have. So um, between my mother, you know, just having that that love for our uh, our meals and just hey, try this, honey, you know, oh, we're, we're going to have stuffed shells tonight. You know, we were eating stuffed shells like at you know, six and seven years old um, and um, uh, different seafood dishes as opposed to sort of the status quo, spaghetti, hamburger, fried chicken. We were doing everything from, you know, uh, Creole shrimp. I remember my mom used to make that back in the 80s. So um, so that's carried over into my life now. I, I enjoy entertaining um Similar to Jen, uh, Jindy, I uh, I love the presentation. I love to get the ahs and oohs and all oh, this tastes so good. Um, so there's so many different things about food. Uh, unlike some of you guys that I just I have a very different outlook on it. So, yeah, that's my take on and it. And I think that's the point, right? Like we're speaking to your early experiences and really your emotional memory around food informs how you feel, how it could inform is a powerful influencer for how uh, you can be in the kitchen, right? Your outlook and your perspective for approaching the kitchen. Uh, for me, and I, I actually feel a little bit, um, I'm sorry that this is true, but I, I feel definitely like, yeah, that's a task for me. <laughs> Whereas, Lawrence, I've seen you in the kitchen and I know that you're like, okay, what are we making? <laughs> Let's let's exactly. create right now. I mean, you're like a, you are in the kitchen. How I am probably with like clothes or coaching. Like, okay, we're going to create something. Let's talk about it. Um, and I think, but 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 to your point, like your ex- early experiences were much more positive and experimental. And mine, from my own perspective as a kid growing up, just just didn't come across that way. And I'm still trying to navigate that negative emotional memory um, to create something new. Um, but I think I think that's why this information, this conversation, is was super relevant for us to have because it, it does. It's good for people to know that you know you, they may not realize the underpinnings of a love in the kitchen or a, eh, not so much in the kitchen. Um, and 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 the possibilities that are there. I think I totally it also agree. speaks. Yeah. Sorry. I think it also speaks to like we talked about this before but how the things that you experience in the young parts of your life they stay with you for so long, you know? Like I remember the, these food experiences with with family being a little kid, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8 and now, you know, in my 30s, still having that same, you know, reaction uh, from from early on. And so we had like another segment about uh, like conscious parenting. And we talked in another episode about community. Right. And this is how all those things come together. Right. We, we talked about all of us being unique and our navigation towards plant based and our diversity and our community 
And so now we have this great opportunity ourselves to, you know, build these new habits and these new memories. And none of us on this team have children, but we have nieces and nephews and like little cousins. And Mm -hmm. I think to be mindful of the impression that we can make um, on on anybody, really, but especially on the little people, the impression that you can make on them and shifting how they eat, how they see the world, how they experience food. Um, I think it's, it's really impactful, the power that we, that we have, that we can have. That's what came to mind as I'm listening to everybody's experiences. Like all these childhood experiences, mm-hmm. like right, came right to the top. Everybody's remembers their mom in the kitchen or their parents in the yeah. kitchen or the grandparents. Um, I'd like to yeah. actually comment on that. I mean, I know I got a lot of comments, but for the most part, I, as far as what Lisa said, as far as having an impact on children, I mean, to me, that's so important. Uh, and not just children, but just really non-plant-based eaters. Um, one thing that I pride myself in is that um, with the skills that I have, many times when I do entertain and I think Jindy mentioned this before in, in one of her her comments in a past episode, but just being able to craft a meal and to duplicate it very closely to um, a non-plant-based meal, um, it's like I thrive off of that. Um, and, and there's so many different options nowadays that we, we have, uh, that we can do that as far as having uh, plant-based milks and cheeses and and the whole gamut of things. So uh, we have, I have some young people in my circle that uh, they eat chicken, uh, pasta, and they won't eat anything else. So my goal is to do just what you said, Lisa um, and Jindy, is just to expose them to, hey, you can eat better. You can eat some of these other things and they can taste just as good, if not better. If I could um, just briefly comment on on my upbringing, because like I said, I was really surprised by April and Lisa's reaction to this idea of entertaining and cooking and providing meals for other people, especially people that you love. Um, Both of my parents cooked. So my mom was the primary cook in our home, but my dad also cooked. And he was the one who would, you know, subscribe to Southern Living Magazine and look up different recipes and try to figure out, like, how would he expose his children to something different than his Alabama upbringing would have necessarily afforded him. And so I also, like Lawrence, grew up experiencing different kinds of food and feeling like there was love in the kitchen and there was love on the table and we would entertain and have people over. And you know, it was so exciting for my parents to be able to do that, even with modest means. And so I just always thought that that was what we were supposed to do. We're supposed to feed the people that we love and we're supposed to try different kinds of food. And um, it's interesting that even though my mother did not teach me how to cook and I give her the business about it to this day because she just could not be bothered spending time in the kitchen to teach me. She would just come in, I would say, how do I do this? And she would just come take over. And so it wasn't until I moved out from my mom that I actually learned how to cook. (laughs) But those early experiences definitely shaped me to believe, and I feel, I feel good when I feed people and they're in my home and they're enjoying food that I prepared. 
And it's all the more better when Lawrence is here because, of course, he's amazing. And I feel much more capable in the kitchen because of the skills that he brings to the table. You're too kind. Mm. You guys are like a great okay. food duo. I mean, I love our yeah, dinners. Man. And I, you guys, uh, I, Lawrence, you always do something really creative in the kitchen that I'm just like, what? It's like food magic. Like what? Mm-hmm. You know, like you work with ingredients mm-hmm. that I would never, I learned about nutritional yeast from you because I was like, is that a thing? Um, and then when you put it in Doesn't mac sound and cheese, appetizing. yeah, you put it in mac and cheese and I was like, oh, this guy, <laughs> we picked the wrong one, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, clearly he doesn't know what mac and cheese is supposed to taste like. But it was so delicious, you know? Um, but I just feel like you work with stuff that's that's not common. You have a lot of creativity um, in, like, the food that you make. Um, and you make it look so easy. It's not that easy, but... Yeah. yeah. And and the, what I've noticed with about you, Lawrence, um, is the intuition you have. Seaweed and crab cakes, air mm-hmm. quote, crab cakes, right? Mm-hmm. Plant-based. I'm just like, seaweed? Yeah. Right. What in the world? Um, but the intuition that you bring for like, huh, let's try this. I think, I think for me, once I've started to stop, and I just, this just happened, started to stop thinking about food as a chore or cooking as a chore and started to think about food as a creation, not a newsflash, but... For some people, but for me, it's like, oh, I guess I could, I get to be in the driver's seat. Okay, great. And the power that can come from that, then it's like, oh, okay, you can access intuition. But I feel like you, you just naturally just know uh, to test flavors in a way that completely unexpected. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put those together. Well, I, I think, thank you guys so much. I, I love the feedback and I really appreciate it. And I, I, I love cooking for you. Um, it really, brings a lot of joy to me, like I said, to get those experiences and those responses, those immediate responses. And they're always sincere. Um, But again, I think it speaks to just like you mentioned, I think it was either Lisa and or you, April, you mentioned as far as what you associated in your early childhood that just carried over the way I look at it and the way I process. I'm thinking to myself, well, there's people all over the earth. They have their way of preparing foods and they use certain ingredients Um, like you mentioned, seafood, or I'm sorry, seaweed, or it may be peanut oil. I mean, obviously these things are not common in the American diet and definitely not in the black American diet. Um, But again, you have billions of people that enjoy this. So the way I process it is, is that, well, you have a billion people over in China that, that, that potentially may use seaweed and peanut oil and sesame oil and they love it. So why can't I? So it's just, I guess it's just how you relate to food and just, it's, it's, it's just something that's innate. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but thank you. Right. But that's the point, right? Like, then the reason we're having this, part of the reason we're having this conversation is because we are advocates for changing your relationship to food, changing your perspective about how you see food and what's possible, right? We talked in a previous episode about the access to things and what your community brings and shapes maybe how you think about food and what you're willing to ask for, the options you think are available. And I think that's what's really, what I'm really proud of that we've, we are creating is this, this alternative conversation about um, exploring food um, not just from a perspective of meat, starch, vegetable, but what else? 
might be delicious that actually uh, comes from a plant and, and not just because it's good for you, but because it tastes amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lisa, you gave me an aha moment when your comment earlier when you spoke about us, you know, not necessarily having kids, but nephews and nieces and cousins and 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 uh, relationships like those, like it, it will make me change. Not saying how I grew up and how, how I, you know, deal with food today is bad, but it'll make me think differently about how I approach food going forward because of the people who are watching me. So thank you for that aha moment. Of course, yeah. By the way, I've been getting yes. all of my great quarantine recipes off of TikTok, y'all. TikTok. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I downloaded TikTok as kind of a joke, but they have some really good chefs on there. I learned like knife skills. They had a video and um, we were talking about some okay. ingredients too. There's a couple of uh, vegan chefs that I follow that use uh, ingredients like nori, fakaki, which I never heard of, but apparently it tastes very much like seafood. And um, one lady did a... Um, uh, spicy tuna roll, um, sushi roll, but she used the, she actually put her carrots in the juicer and then used the pulp out of the back to simulate that spicy tuna texture. And they, mm. I mean, TikTok, TikTok got some wow. good stuff. I mean, they got some other stuff, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> Layla. <laughs> but uh, I've been getting some really good um, cooking hacks from TikTok. So yeah, Leela, I need you to send me the sushi yeah, lady. Send me, send I need me to the, know the about profiles. the vegan sushi lady. Yes. Yes. Well, it's yeah, that yeah, Tabitha. Yeah. Uh, Tabitha. She's become yes, Tabitha she's Brown? become really popular. Tabitha Brown, um, but she creates all these like, like, little TikToks. About so. her. Uh oh. Uh oh. Okay. <laughs> well, the sushi looked amazing. Um, and I think if you follow, uh, it's just like any social media, they do the algorithm. So the more cooking things you follow, the more cooking things show up on your feed. Uh, yeah, they I recommend. recommend. So I watched a video about how to properly chop, how to season like the best turkey and how to work with all types of ingredients, how to make homemade bread, how to like, I watched this one on how to, you know how you get boxed cake mix how to take mm-hmm. the box cake mix mm-hmm. but make actually really good cake by substituting out the ingredients. You know how they say put oil in the on the mm-hmm. back of it. She's like, don't mm-hmm. use oil, use this instead. Don't use three eggs, use five. Um, but I know TikTok. Who knew? Ooh, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, it's good to see that um, while we recognize how our upbringing definitely molds us, uh, I think we're in a place where just like we encourage our audience, you know, see how we can grow beyond uh, what that imprint looks like and see how we can really open our eyes and open our aperture to all the, and really open our palate to all the things that uh, life has to offer. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard today, please take two minutes and leave us a review in your favorite podcast app. And in the meantime, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.